Cougs house. All right, a lot of basketball to get into this episode. We've got conference tournament to talk about. We got media availability to talk about. We got awards to hand out from the season. And oh yeah, we're playing the Pirates too. But man, oh man, and looking back, did we get left off of something? You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the daily podcast of your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsworth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater can step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way you can lay us on the Cougs into your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. We are approaching 800 subscribers and when we get to 1,000, we're going to be doing another giveaway. Shouts to Bert. It looked like Bert on Twitter uh, tweeted out that he got his jacket. Um, we're still figuring out what the 1,000 subscriber giveaway is. I will tell you this. The faster we get there, the bigger a deal it is. So let's make sure we hit subscribe down below. And if after this one you're like i don't want to talk about the boys had a basketball i'm so consumed with the girls game which is also on on my second screen right now um tell us let's talk about championships about chips which do you think is more important the chip or the dip now in this episode we're gonna do a lot of talk about the men's team um we're gonna do a quick reaction after the girls game is over as well in a separate episode there'll be like a bonus piece content um however in the boys basketball world we have to do this first segment we're gonna talk some about the tournament as a whole Kelvin Sampson has normal, you know, 30-minute or whatever Zoom media availability. Uh, he gave it kind of like his, some insights on what he has his approach to this tournament and approaches to the conference tournaments at large. Our middle section is going to be looking at a lot um, of the matchup with East Carolina, both what happened the first time and what to look forward to in the second one. And then in the third segment, which might be a little bit short, that second one might kind of be long. The third segment, we're going to talk some about the end of season awards for the American Athletic Conference. Got handed out the last time Houston is going to be accepting any of those. And Houston had a really, really big showing, swept most awards, but I still think someone got left off. But first, let's talk some about what Kelvin Sampson had to say um, in his pregame uh, media availability this week ahead of the American Athletic Conference tournament. Um, he focused in several different instances about not being concerned himself with the idea of three games in three days. A stark contrast to what several players said in their availabilities earlier in the week. Um, not that it was from a different spot. The players were like their legs, and like they think that that gets you ready for playing in the big tournament, right? The NCAA tournament. Uh, however, to be fair to Samson, the reason as a coach he is not concerned about three games in three days is if you start thinking past the first game, you might not get to play all those other games, right? He's about one game in one day over and over and over again. It does sound like on the staff, like he'll assign, they're playing East Carolina on Friday. He'll assign Qantas to go look at their potential matchups on Saturday and so on. So that way they have film ready and clips ready and so on. Um, but on the whole, uh, he himself tries to focus one day at a time, one game at a time, in a good old football coach's kind of mentality. Um, he did mention that, like, they have their eyes on bigger prizes. He was very upfront about that. Like, the team has big, high goals set for them this season. However, he does try to win every game he plays, and he was not shy about that. Obviously, that's kind of what makes Samson Samson, but... The only thing it sounds like that would kind of deter them from doing a win now strategy would be like if there was a 
injury that could get worse kind of situation or, or a guy that like had an injury that needed rest, you might see him sitting. Outside of that, they're going to be pushing hard to win every game, even if it's on Sunday and it's after the uh, people doing the selections committee have already gone inside, right? They're trying to win every game they play. I think that's fairly obvious, but there were people talking on various internet parts about like they don't even need to win this tournament to get a one seed, and they're probably not going to get the number one overall seed anyway. So like, what does it matter? I think they've got an outside shot at the number one overall seed. We'll talk about that on Selection Sunday immediately afterwards, I'm sure. Um, I thought it was interesting as a media availability too. Um, he talks some about the conference tournaments placement right before the big NCAA tournament, right? Oh, sorry, the women just missed a three. It's still 23-16, Second half just started. Um, I, with that said, he talked about how the um, the conference tournament ends on Sunday, and he feels like every conference that ends their tournament on Sunday, the conference champion, or if maybe not both teams that play in it, if they make the NCAA tournament, if the loser does, I guess the winner obviously does, should get to play their games on a Friday, right? There should be games in the NCAA tournament go Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. And he was saying that every team should, if you win on a Sunday, get to play the Friday, Sunday of the next week, because after the game, you're immediately like doing media availability. You cut down the nets to the ceremony. If you win, you do a media availability thing. You have to talk about going to the tournament. You have to go sit for a televised selection committee thing and like sit down there and like wait to hear where you're going and all that. And like, by the time you do that and then you pack up and leave, like you're not getting home until pretty early in the wee hours of Monday morning at best. And like, that sets you behind on Monday. And then if you got to turn and play Thursday, that doesn't really seem fair to him. Uh, it was uh, something I hadn't really thought about admittedly. It's not the first time he's brought it up. Certainly something he is consciously thinking about as well. Um, I, I just hadn't really thought about that. I do think Houston's in a fairly advantageous situation right now where assuming I assume they're going to get a one seed if they win the American Athletic Conference tournament. And with that said, like even if they played Thursday, that 16 seed is a kind of team that hopefully <laughs> – Hopefully you don't have to do a whole lot of preparing for because generally those are teams with just more weaknesses, right? Um, that said, I can't say it's never happened. UVA did lose a few years back in 16 seats. I'm not saying to overlook that at all. Just worth keeping an eye on the whole thing. He was pretty quick to point out, and no reporter laughed. I kind of chuckled when I listened to it, um, that the Big 12, quote, does it right because their conference championship has a game Saturday night. It's kind of like a like marquee event on television for college basketball on Saturday night. Um, and thus, no matter how long you do with cutting the nets and the media availability and all that kind of stuff, you're home for Selection Sunday, and your process starts at a whole different timeline. So you could practice after the selection show's over if you really wanted to, right? Uh, interesting difference to point out, but I thought it was interesting that he was really quick to pat the Big 12 on the back for the things that they've been doing. A, obviously he coached in the Big 12 when he was at Oklahoma, but also B... He knows where he's headed. That was pretty, pretty funny. I also think it's, um, you know, a dig that probably you and I will take more is that, you know, a lot of people slide to Houston for not playing in a power five conference this season and like how, you know, their record shouldn't be counted the same or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. My response is typically the one thing I feel very sure about Houston wouldn't have been able to do if they played in the big 12, is they probably wouldn't have lost to temple because they probably wouldn't have played temple. Uh, but also I think it's worth pointing out that like, um, you know, because of TV schedules and TV rights, that's why Big 12 plays their game on Saturday night and a you know, big national TV crowd. Um, there's also something, too, that like that sets them up for an easier NCAA tournament. Right. So when you, we run into one of those teams later, like wherever that may be, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, second round, wherever that happens, uh, Final Four in Houston. Um, 
that first weekend for them is set up a little bit easier because of that. Right. Fair point. Fair point. Um, he also in the media available to talk some about freshman roles and Manuel Sharp watching the guy develop and like how you anticipate them them being a freshman like that, whether it's him this year into next year or Ramon Walker last year into this year or Tremont Mark the year before into what's kind of been, I got injured obviously in his actual sophomore year, but over the last two years, you get to become a veteran very quickly if you get the kind of role like that where you're like the first guard off the bench. Um, I like what Emmanuel and Tremont, uh, Emmanuel and Terrence both bring in off the bench. And I'll say it'll be interesting to see what they look like next year. There are still draft mocks that have Terrence Arsenal on all the potential he has as a second round pick. I don't know that he'll take that option. Um, for what it's worth, Coach got asked about Jarris again, and he was like, if he hadn't talked about it yet, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> and it was very, very quick. Um, all that is to say, I'll be interested to see where that goes. Speaking of things, I'll be interested to see where it goes. Before we get into the second segment and talk some about ECU and what that game will look like on Friday, we've got to talk about a bunch of other things going on and what they'll look like across college basketball and NBA basketball with our buddies at FanDuel. Now, FanDuel is the number one sportsbook in America, and we're really excited about them here at Locked On. Uh, it's the midway point of the NBA season. It's the perfect time to download FanDuel, which is Americans' number one sports book. Uh, new customers get up to uh, get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. They can bet on anything from money line to point scores and three trained. This is part they want me to tell you about an NBA game, but as they have the line for the Houston game, I feel. Compelled to tell you that this is a 21 and a half point spread. Admittedly, this is a neutral floor. The over under is set at 133. Uh, Houston, for what it's worth, is the pick em favorite by, uh, you know, 8,000 at minus 8,000. I say that to say that I think Houston wins this game, and I actually kind of think that they might end up hitting that over. Um, you know, they shot poorly the first half, the first game they played in Dickey Center or Dickey's Arena earlier this year. Um, that said, East Carolina should be comfortable, and we just saw their guards go off. More on that in a moment. But as far as this game's go, I'm thinking I'm taking Houston and the over. The 21 and a half points is like, mm, you know, tournament on the line, you know, everyone's stepping up the plates. Uh, Houston might be rusty to start the game, or East Carolina should be tired of late in the game. I, the 21 and a half points has me more perplexed, but I would certainly take the over and Houston. Um, in that 21 and a half, I'd like to see it go more than that spread. I'd like to see Houston win more by 24, 25 points, kind of get some guys some rest before playing the next day. So that's what I would do, but it might just be because what I want to see, regardless of what you want to pick on those bets, I'm telling you to do it at FanDuel, because FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. To learn more, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, so I said in the second segment, and it might be the longest segment of the show, is I want to talk some about this game itself. So reflecting quickly on the first time Houston played East Carolina this season, it was in East Carolina. It was a really cool post-game moment with uh, Kelvin Sampson and shaking hands with a bunch of fellow Lumbee tribe members. And those kind of, all that was really, really cool in the game itself. Um, it was the fourth game in nine days for Houston at the time. They ended up playing a couple days later on Sunday as well uh, to kind of like match off a, a big stretch against a bunch of games in a short, short window. Um, RJ Felton and Ezra uh, Oser, I believe I heard it sound pronounced Oser on TV today, but I've always been saying Oser. Anyway, um, 
A-U-S-A-R, Oser. Uh, um, anyway, they led the way in scoring. Uh, Felton had 13, 5, and 4, uh, 13 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists. Oser had 15 points and 8 rebounds. And they stood out on the score sheet at that moment. Um, I think this game is most remembered, though, because there was a scary moment earlier where Sasha rolled his ankle. And then it was very obvious after a few possessions of in the game that he was not actually hurt. He had 22 points for the game high that point. Uh, that game in 22 points. Jamon Mark had 20 points and nine rebounds. And then Jamon Roberts had his 17 and 12 double double. Those three guys dominated this game in a way that was like, it didn't look like ECU had seen athletes like them before. Uh, Jarris Walker had kind of a mundane game on offense, but a huge game defensively. Um, I thought it was interesting in that game when looking at uh, back at my notes from the post game, my like theme and looking back at it a few days later, like, a few weeks later at this point, is that it was the experiment game, right? Houston experimented more on offense. They didn't run, like, long Princeton-style sets. So they ran a bunch of different actions to get a Sasser ISO, to get a Tremont Mark ISO, to get a Jamal Shedd downhill or whatever, right? Um, to pop Emmanuel for three. They ran a bunch of different actions, um, kind of in an experimental way they hadn't really done this season. And then late in the game, obviously, the thing that people clown me the most on is they went to zone and experiment defensively. And I was like, why are they doing this? And then, of course, a few weeks later in the last game of the regular season at Memphis, Houston goes to his own and more or less kind of seals the victory up by slowing Memphis down with it. Um, I said to say that, like, they toyed with this game and won by nearly 20 points on the road just a couple of weeks ago. The dominant defense was the big story in that one. Uh, obviously, the, like, headlining stat and raw stat data was that uh, East Carolina had made just three field goals in the first half, and Houston had... Five blocks. It was a dominant athletic defensive performance. They were turning East Carolina over. They were pinning shots off the backboard, and it quickly turned into East Carolina looked scared to score inside the lane because I didn't know where the hands are coming from on block shots. Javier Francis had big ones. Jairus Walker had big ones. Tremont Mark had a big one. Um, really, really big, big play inside from the guys. Um, in their more recent game, East Carolina looked much, much better, and I cannot stress that enough. The danger in this game as a trap game may be because Houston beat them so badly the first time. Honestly, in uh, in their more recent game, the guards played tremendously well. Um, I feel like I need to point out that like that's the strength of Houston's, obviously the defensive side of their guards. But ECU is quick to go from down 10 about midway through the first half to up 10 early in the second half and won this game by 15. This was not the first double-digit comeback by any stretch East Carolina's had. I want to say they've had like eight or nine. As of the first time Houston played them, they'd already had six or seven. Um, and I, This is not their only one since. Um, that said, the, the big scoring were R.J. Felton again, so same kind of name, and a kid named Jaden Walker, a junior guard. Um, he's a little bit bigger guard. He's more like a 6'5 kind of guy, where R.J. Felton is more like your 6'3 kind of guy. Um, as far as matchups go, I wonder if that's more like a Jamal Shedd and Tremont Mark matchup as opposed to um, the classic Shedd and Sasser. Regardless, the interesting thing there in watching them play against uh, USF today recording Thursday night. Um, but see, and watching them play against USF is that they kind of got in the lane whenever they wanted to. They beat guys off the dribble. They split zone gaps. They, they kind of left USF in a lot of problems to where USF eventually went to a drop coverage in their, uh, in their pick and roll coverage. And frankly, it felt kind of like the drop coverage was almost more of a death knell because 
that's when ECU just started pulling them off the dribble and beating the drop coverage with jump shots. And it didn't really look like SF, USF had an answer once that started happening. Um, and I, I say that to say that I could see Houston getting trapped. I could see this going a bunch of ways. I could see, you know, I'm a pessimistic guy sometimes and I can get a little nervous and anxious or whatever. Um, I don't think that will be the problem for Houston. First of all, I don't think they'll get beat off the dribble in traditional man-to-man coverage, right? So, like, I, mean, like, I don't think anything with 55 or any, any traditional type of man defense will lead to Houston getting beat off the bounce in a way that gets guys in the lane a whole lot, unless they're just gambling for steals. And that's when Samson's got to, you know, calm his guys down and say, hold, hold on, let, let, let's pull this back up. Um, the other thing I'll say, too, is that Houston's bigs are athletic enough to where I don't think they're going to have to play a drop coverage at any point in this game, right? Uh, Russell Shiwa, the big man, I mean, seven foot, 300 pound, like giant kind of kid at USF, does a lot of things very well. One of them is not play defense at the perimeter. So when you go for a high pick and roll with him, he sits to that drop coverage to try and at least play the rim defense and and hopefully that his defender at the guard position is trailing and that forces things, right? So on and so forth. Um I don't think that will happen as Houston. I imagine Houston continues to blitz ball screens, tag the roller, and X out the backside. And that is to say that that's a much more sound coverage against this. Unfortunately, as I'm watching the girls' game on my second screen here, uh, they just fell behind by a point in the third quarter after holding a fairly sizable first half lead. Um, this is kind of how the first game went. <sighs> I digress. Um, I, I think that as I look at this, the interesting thing to me, the X factor for East Carolina uh, will be uh, this kid named uh, Ludgy Debo. Um, I think it's Ludgy, Luggy, Ludgy Debo. Um, he's their big guy, seven foot two forty five. Um, as they blitz the ball screen, the natural thing for uh, ECU to do or that they have done is try and pop the ball up to him, and he is a big target to pop the ball to. Even if Houston tags the roller, if he turns into a pass-first playmaker kind of guy, like think about what Jairus Walker has done a handful of times this year on the short roll kind of stuff. Um, that's where Houston can run into problems. I have not seen that in games out of him a whole lot, but that's one way I could see it working in, against the Cougs. Um, that that all being said, the biggest thing here to me is to get this game over with, as they should. You know, come out the gate ready to play. Don't start slow. Uh, it's a noon tip off, but theoretically, East Carolina should be more tired. They played the day before. It's also worth pointing out that like. Yes, Houston drove up four hours to go play this game, five hours to go play this game, but they did it on Thursday, right? And so theoretically, they're sleeping in a hotel. They can wake up and, like, get a good walkthrough and get a good sweat lather. There's not a game before them, right? So, like, they should actually be, like, have the time to fully warm up and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I If they can get this game in, de- in hand early and not play guys like 39 minutes, right? Not play guys through rolled ankles and like really take care of business in this one. The goal would be then um, to start looking ahead to Saturday by about two o'clock in the afternoon, right? It's like not, not dwell on this. Houston's a better team than East Carolina. If Houston lost to East Carolina, it'd be more about them being themselves, right? To come out of this one, continue to like experimental sets and do, do those kinds of things, but not to be too, too terribly worried about what East Carolina does offensively. I think Houston get a lot of things that they want in this one. Um, I'd imagine you see a lot of drop-offs of Jawan Roberts in this. Um, I would imagine you see Sasser being able to be either guard off, that assigned to him off the dribble in this one. I don't know. I don't know if they'd run some sort of a gimmicky coverage on him, but he did so on well the first game. 
with an ankle that got rolled earlier. Like, I'm not sure what, what they do. Um, as far as like surprise breakout guys in this one that didn't have in the first game, I want to see some more out of Jarris. Jarris has had stretches of really fantastic offensive basketball in this one and in this season. And last time Houston plays Carolina, he played great on the defensive side. I'd like to see more out of him on the offensive side and get him more involved. Um, because I don't think they have an athlete that can do the things he does. And all the sets and uh, actions they ran last game against East Carolina, they ran to produce ISOs. If they run those for Jarris, I really, really don't think anyone can stay in front of him on an ISO. And he's such a great passer. I'm telling like scouts say that that's the offensive skill he has that takes him to the league. Obviously, being able to shoot helps, but he's like a creator. And if they have to do gimmicky things to get the ball out of his hands suddenly Houston's a much better team on offense. In the third segment, I want to talk some about how Houston dominated the award season at the end of our last season, the American Athletic Conference, and about the guy that I feel like got left out. Um, but speaking of things being left out, let's leave out some calories and talk about Built Bars. Now, Built is a delicious treat without all the fat and calories. You've got to try Built Bars. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me, where you just want to eat a little healthier but don't want to compromise on taste, then, man, I've got just the thing for you. you got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious. You won't think they're good for you, perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. It's covered in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is they're actually healthy. Only 130 calories, 400 sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein in most bars. And now, you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, you talk about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. But now, you can get them at your, your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab a, uh, yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to a Sam's Club and that's more your jam, you can run in and grab a 13-bar box with hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. Trust me and thank me later. And again, folks, I'm telling you, trust me, coconut almond, I guess unless you're like allergic to almonds or coconuts. And that's a chance I, I, I say go with the puffs. All right, so I said I'm going to talk some about the awards. Now, Houston absolutely dominated awards season at the end of the American Athletic Conference regular season. Um, they won all but one individual award. Player of the year was Marcus Sasser. Shocker. Jamal Shedd was defensive player of the year. Coach of the year was, yes, Kelvin Sampson. Most improved player of the year was Jawan Roberts, right? Uh, Reggie Chaney won sixth man of the year. Jarris Walker won freshman of the year. The only award that was not handed out in an individual sense to a Houston Cougar was a sportsmanship award. Um, I guess when you beat everybody by 20 points, they got problems with that. Now, I don't, I'm saying that facetiously. I don't know what happened there, but no sportsmanship award for the Cougs. Um, Houston also had uh, Marcus Saster on the first team all conference Two, uh sorry. They had three players on the second team all conference. Um, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Three players on the second team all conference and then three freshmen on the all conference freshman team. Um, I think the interesting thing in hearing about this was that, um, first of all, Coach Sampson and his media availability would, took time out of the uh, availability to talk about how like he is firmly of the belief that Jamal Shedd is a first-team all-conference player. I feel fairly certain. I understand that there is another guard or two in the conference that are very good and have NBA-type aspirations. Um, but bluntly, Jamal buzzer-beatered him. Um, I also feel like the way that Houston plays – 
like exacerbates like Jamal Shedd's strengths. And so while he might not be this valuable to every team, the way he fits in with what Houston does as a motor, and I believe Randy Bennett at the start of this early in the season called him the head of the snake, right? He's the engine that makes the thing go in Houston. And if they're the number one team in the country and he's the engine that makes the thing go, I feel like he's got to be important enough to make a first team. Um, he did make a second team and he did, did win defense player of the year in the conference. So kudos to him. Um, but it sounds like the relationship he's built with Coach Sampson is so, so strong. I'm excited to have him back for another season next season. Um, I do think he's a pro basketball player at some level, somewhere, somehow. Um, at the very least, a G League kind of thing for a while to see if he can continue to develop something, some more offensive stuff to get the league. I don't I don't know. But um, it, it, I just, I, I'm excited to see where that relationship continues to grow. And frankly, it sounds like more of a peer relationship in the film room and offensive kind of things with he and Samson, which is interesting to hear about um, because that's a lot of trust that Samson does not just hand out. Um, and that I think speaks volumes to uh, Jamal Shedd as well. The fascinating thing about Jamal Shedd that, Sam- that Samson said that I would agree with is you and I care a lot about if he got left off of something, but he definitely doesn't. He cares a lot more about winning this weekend and he cares a lot more about winning this month. And he gets a lot more about winning in early April when there's only a handful of teams playing. Um, also worth pointing out that Samson said that the entire team was the most excited for Reggie Chaney. Um, <laughs> but my hot take on the end of conference uh, awards is that Houston did still get screwed because Tremont Mark did not make an all-conference team. And I don't understand how. He didn't win third team or second team um, or didn't earn second team or third team. And I just I just don't quite get how that happens because, frankly, I feel like after having watched a lot of com- of American Athletic Conference basketball this season, um, I just I I didn't feel like there were 15 players better than him. I understand intuitively and like at an intellectual level that that would mean Every one of Houston's starters made the cut. And like, I understand that there's like something to say about like, can you really give an entire team, like essentially say an entire team is the all conference team to some degree. Um, However, I kind of think they should have like, I, yes, Houston played the conference that well. I understand they lost a single game at home to temple by a single point but they ran through the conference in a way that feels monumental and like they were the best team, in the con- like they were the all-conference team themselves. I also feel like while Tremont Mark has a lot of time left playing for the Cougs, um, it's kind of thing that he needs to kind of add to his resume. He'll have a much bigger role in the team next year without Sasser as far as an offensive creator goes. I saw Tremont Mark is as good as it gets. He was a big-time rebounder at the guard spot this season as well. Uh, I just feel like he got screwed. I know that he doesn't care much like Jamal Shea doesn't care. But at the end of the day, I do think that's something worth pointing out. And I do feel like that's something that uh, was a little bit of a short-sighted moment by the committee. Um, I'll be following the game all afternoon. I'll be doing it from work. Don't tell the people that I teach for. Um, but we'll be doing it all afternoon, live tweeting and the whole nine. You can find me at Painsworth 512 P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 to see Jamon Mark go ISO Mark again against the East Carolina Pirates. I will also be uh, talking the women's game, regardless of whatever the outcome of this is. We'll be talking about that 
at Paints 5-2 and on Locked on Cougs. We'll be following the tournament all weekend long, all the way through Selection Sunday, and seeing where the Cougars are headed come the NCAA tournament. So, again, that's at Paintsworth 512 at P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on all your social media handles. We're on TikTok now as well, so make sure to go tech- check that out. Uh, hit subscribe down below. Make sure you follow the podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for making us your first listen today. If you're looking for a second listen today, I'm going to recommend Locked on College Basketball because it's March. And that's a daily college basketball show hosted by Andy and Isaac, and they're great. So make sure you check that out as well. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Locked on Cougs is a proud Locked on Podcast Network, your team, or in our case, the number one team in the country. Every day, go Cougs.